I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So we're live. We are. We're, we're <laughs> not I mean, really, but not really, but kind of. Yeah, uh, we're here uh, online. We're doing the the whole social distancing thing, like ten out of ten. Super doing a great distance. job so far. Um, and we're sitting down with our our friend, uh, Doctor. Is it Bowdish or Bowdish? It's Bowdish, and I thank you for asking. It's Bowdish. <laughs> Doctor Bowdish. Uh-huh. Um, nice to see you, Dr. Bowdish. Uh, I believe we've met before mm-hmm. at, uh, at the, was it the Ontario Lung Association? Gala? Yes, we met twice before. Once we sat down, had dinner together, I think at the, at a lung association thing. And I think once you were the, the guest speaker, uh, last, right. at last year's event and I introduced myself and made you take a selfie with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sweet. Well, good to see you again online. Um, uh, in these very very weird times, um, why don't why don't you it, it sort of lay it out for our guests um, what it what it is that you do? You're a doctor. Uh, what kind of doctor are you? I'm a PhD scientist, so I have a big egghead. And so what I do is I spend a lot of time thinking about the immune system. And what I study in particular is the aging immune system and why that makes us more susceptible to infections, mostly pneumonia, uh, but other infections. So I've been following the story with SARS-CoV-19 very closely because uh, obviously there's a lot of people who are vulnerable, people who have compromised immune systems are vulnerable. Um, And as well, it has a very different it's a very different sort of infection than we're used to seeing. It doesn't look like an influenza pneumonia or a bacterial pneumonia. And so understanding why this is, is going to be something that's going to take us scientists a bit of time to figure out. Did you say think, there, um, did you say, did you say SARS and pneumonia or sorry, sorry, SARS and COVID-19 SARS or SARS? So the, there's a little bit of nomenclature here. So the virus that causes, um, the virus is called SARS-CoV-2, and that's because it's a relative of the first SARS you would have heard of. It's in a class right. of um, viruses called coronaviruses, and it's actually pretty closely related to the SARS that we had in 2003 in Canada. It's the same sort of family. So now the scientific yep. name we're calling the virus is called SARS-CoV-2, and the infection it causes we're calling COVID-19. But people use the words oh. interchangeably. Interesting. Very, well, that's very interesting. interesting. Um, when you talk about uh, um, your, steady... your line of work, sorry, I was going to say when uh, um, talking about uh, one at a time, boys, uh, one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say when it comes to uh, studying it, studying the virus and aging populations, a, a lot of the things that um, I feel like I've been hearing personally is is that you know, and and a lot of the conversations we've been having um, with Sick Boy 
are surrounding the idea that this virus is primarily affecting older people and immunocompromised people. Um, as somebody who studies how the virus affects uh, aging populations, it as as somebody who's young and healthy, do I have something to worry about? Or do I yeah, have sure anything do. to worry about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have a lot to worry about. So, you know, it's a, a bit of a misconception that this is something that strikes older people. And in truth, to be totally fair, this is all happening so quickly. We're getting results mm. sort of almost in real time from around the world. And of course, the, the virus started in China. And so the first pass of data we got was sort of from the Chinese data. And so it it does look like the majority of deaths are in older adults, and it does look like children are much more protected than we normally see in influenza infections, which is sort of what we compare it to, because that's another infection that kills lots of people and goes all around the world. So that is true. But what's also very, very true is that it really seems to have an affinity for some people who have chronic health conditions. Cardiovascular disease is a big one. So any of your parents who are on Lipitor are at risk, um, uh, hypertension, high blood pressure. But what's interesting is now that we're seeing it in populations outside of China, Italy, Europe, the States, we're also seeing other things pop up as being things that can contribute to making you really sick. And there's simple things that many of us have, like having a BMI of over 25, which is like most of us, not you guys, you're all very thin, but most of us, or having maybe not frank diabetes, but having sort of on the high end of normal blood sugar. These also seem to be mm. factors. And in truth, we're actually seeing a lot of younger people, especially in the U.S., are being hospitalized. So people in their 30s and 40s and 50s are being hospitalized, mm. in some case dying. So, yes, it will kill the oldest old, but there's a lot of young people who are going to be hospitalized and be very sick as well. You were you were saying earlier that this is the the infection is unlike uh, anything that we're really used to, and you had you had mentioned it it looks different from like uh, an influenza or 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 a bacterial pneumonia. Um, what what makes this? Because pneumonia is like the pneumonia is the the scary part of this, right? Like if you get COVID nineteen and you end up contracting pneumonia from it as far as as far as i'm aware and correct me if i'm wrong that's that's the part that's like you definitely are hoping not to go down that route right so yeah. so what makes that pneumonia different from say the pneumonia that i had in in october um uh when i was hospitalized for 2 weeks which i'm pretty sure was a bacterial pneumonia and and just to add on to that is that is that the part that's killing people Yes and no. Sometimes yes and sometimes no. So I'll walk you through this infection step by step. It's a weird one. And one of the reasons it's been so hard to contain is it can result in really bad infections, but it's like a slow creeping up getting sick. So anyone who's ever had influenza, which can cause a really bad pneumonia, they know they're sick. You know, I have a story of one of my uh, grad students, her daughter had influenza. She went to the pharmacy to go buy the drugs. And by the time she got back to the parking lot to her car, she was shaking and shivering. She was so sick. She clearly had influenza herself. Mm -hmm. This is a kind of a different beast. Instead of hitting you like a brick, it sort of can creep up. 
So what tends to happen is there's a pretty long asymptomatic stage when you don't know you're sick. And that's when you're spreading it to all your friends and loved ones and everyone you're close to. And then maybe there's a little bit of malaise, you know, maybe you got a headache or you're a little bit feverish and don't feel so hot. And that sort of creeps up. So it's not till like maybe day three or maybe even day five where you you've been feeling ill that you get super, super sick and you realize you need medical help. That's weird. That's really weird. And it sort Mm. of implies that the virus is tricking our immune system into not reacting the way it needs to. So that's a problem. And then you go and you go to the doctor because you're not feeling very good. So most people you will have heard about the symptoms. They'll have a fever or they'll have like a a dry cough. So they're not coughing up a lot of gunk. Um, And at that point, they'll be looking for evidence of pneumonia. So pneumonia is when your your lungs fill up with liquid and your lungs are supposed to be getting oxygen from the outside into your blood. If you're full of liquid, you can't do that. And that's why so many patients need to have a ventilator to help them breathe and to help get rid of that fluid so they can get oxygen in there. It's also why people with heart conditions or blood pressure problems tend to be at risk because if you're if you can't get enough oxygen into your blood, your heart compensates by beating faster and faster and that puts a lot of stress on the heart and puts stress on your organs. So all this is going on, but at the same time, this virus looks like it actually affects other organs. And we don't know if it's the virus itself that's sort of getting into the heart or the other organs, probably not. At this point, the immune system's getting so activated that it does damage to the heart, the kidneys, other organs. So some patients will die of the pneumonia. Some patients will die of other organ failure. And oh, the, wow, as, a, wow. as a result of basically going down the chain of not enough oxygen, heart overcompensates, that puts stress on the organs, and then some complication happens somewhere else in some other organ. Wow. Now, that's crazy. Now, are you, so are you working directly with patients who have COVID-19, or are you studying the virus more in a lab setting? More in the lab setting for me. So what we're trying to do right now is we've got, uh, we're trying to answer a couple of questions. So the first question is the big problem with this virus and the reason we're doing social distancing and and the reason we're, you know, having these this infection go out of control is so many people are asymptomatic. So if you don't have symptoms, right. you don't feel like you have to change your life. And this is why we're all in semi-lockdown and self-isolation right now is to get people who are asymptomatic. So one of the, the studies we're doing now is we've got a whole bunch of blood in our freezer from people who've come in and give blood to the lab before, including lots of vulnerable people, asthmatics, people with lung conditions, etc. So we've got all this blood in our freezer where we know they were never exposed to COVID-19 because all that was collected before the epidemic started. So now we're going to send them out some questionnaires and we're going to ask them some questions about are they doing their social distancing? Do they ever have symptoms? And after this outbreak, which we're hoping will be in the fall or the winter, we're going to get their blood again. And by doing a blood test, we can find out who was infected, even if they didn't know they were infected. So we'll find Mm -hmm. out actually how many people in this area got infected. The second study we're doing. Yeah, I know. Crazy. eh? Um, and uh, if you're ever in the Hamilton area and you'd like to come and give blood, I'd be happy to have it. <laughs> and the second study we're doing is trying to look and understand transmission of the, the virus. So we know that some people, if they have the illness, they're going to go home and some of their family members will then get sick and some won't. And we're trying to figure out what is the immune response that happens in the nose, which is really where you get your first uh you know, you breathe in these droplets and that's where the infection starts. And if there are microbes in the nose that might 
might be protective or permissive because they either sort of help the virus get in or they block it from getting in. And then the hope is we'll be able to harness that information to make new preventative strategies to stop people getting sick. When you said um, when you said that that you hope that this outbreak will be done in the fall or winter, what exactly did what exactly does that mean? What does that what does that look like? Does it does that mean does that mean social distancing ends then or does that or that sort of thing? Or does it mean that maybe the the distancing part of stuff ends in the sometime in the summer or or and then the actual and then everything is sort of tapers off towards the fall and the spring. Like what does that look like? Yeah, because yeah. because I heard Donald Donald Trump said it was gonna be done by Easter, so that's what I'm holding out for. Well, he's got yeah, the best well, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> that guy does not have a PhD. Um, <laughs> the, uh, no one, no one loves malaria drugs more than I do. I know malaria <laughs> drugs. I've got all the malaria drugs. I've got all the faith. Uh, yeah. So we don't know when the end's going to be, and in truth, it's not. Well, I want to be a bringer of good news, but I, instead, I'm going to tell you how it is. So. We are hoping, and really the end of this will depend on how good we are today. So if everyone does Mm. what they're supposed to today and we break those chains of transmission, we get all our travelers home. They all don't go to the grocery store when they end up back in the airport. They go straight home and do what they're supposed to do. If we can break that chain of transmission now, we are cautiously optimistic that we'll be back to a new normal in the fall. But there's a lot of caveats to this. One of the big caveats is, is it takes a tremendous amount of money and resources to stop this, as you are seeing. I mean, think about all the money our government's putting in, all the healthcare workers are out there. Now, I want you to imagine all the countries in the world that don't have these kind of resources. I want you to think about anywhere that's not as rich as Canada is. There is zero chance that they're going to be able to contain this in the same way. Mm. So what we're going to be looking for and worrying about is little seeds of infections that come from travelers all over the world. And so until we have a vaccine, until we have really good drugs that can stop us from getting sick, we have to accept the fact that there will probably be little mini outbreaks of this Mm. for a long time. And so I wish I could tell you that we're going to cure it all. And by September, our lives are going to go back to normal, but there's definitely going to be a new normal for a while. And and what is, what's the deal with like, like, is there, is there any route? Like, is there a possibility that what's the deal with, with building an immunity to something like this or, or, you know, like, like what, what does the world of vaccines look like for something like this? Is, is this, is this going to be, um, you know, I, every year I have to get my flu shot. Like, are, are we every year going to now have to get our, our COVID shot? Or what, what does that look like? I love that question so much. So essentially, with regard to immune responses, this is a new virus. So there is not a human on the planet who prior to November 2019 had any exposure to this. We had nothing. We've got nothing. Where all of us sort of rely a little bit for influenza, as example, we've all been exposed or vaccinated. So we build up little pieces of immunity. And even in years where we might not be vaccinated or the vaccine might not be a good uh, match or whatever, we can still rely on those little bits and pieces of immunity to give us some protection. But we just don't have that here. These viruses are also a little bit problematic because the immune response that we naturally get in SARS and MERS and other viruses like them, it just doesn't last very long. So think about the difference between chickenpox, right? You get chickenpox as a kid, and for 99% of people, you're protected for the rest of your days. 
Now compare that to like tetanus shots. You have to go back and get your tetanus shot every 10 years because the immune response disappears. It looks like, and we don't know the final answer yet, but it looks like immunity to this virus might be more like tetanus than it is to chickenpox. If Whoa. that's the case, it's kind of bad news because it means even if you get sick this year, that doesn't mean you'll be protected forever. And now, that kind of like goes said, back we don't, to the, we what don't you know. said before about the about poorer countries. Mm. Exactly. In the way, in the mm. way that you know, like that might it might not affect us as a, as it affects, you know, Sierra Leone or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. So we're everyone's working really really hard on a vaccine, but I have to say these this family of viruses has been very resistant to vaccine efforts to date. It's been uh, it's been a tough one to conquer. So. I'm so grateful that the entire world has come together to try to work on this as a problem, but I don't have a lot. Again, Trump's not right. We're not going to have a vaccine in two months. It's going to take some time. When they say that it's going to take anywhere from 12 to 18 months to um, to come up with a vaccine, what what amount of that is like because of regulation and what amount of that is because it just takes a long time for the science to figure it out? Yeah, great question. In these sort of emergency times, we have lots of bypasses for regulations. So there's lots of rules you can kind of skip over. But one of the rules we can't skip over is safety testing first. So the first test that we'll always do, it's called like a dose escalation. So if you have a vaccine, you have some evidence that you think it might work, the first step is to really put it into some young, healthy people and do sort of a couple different doses and make sure that they don't get sick. That's the first step that we can't skip. But even then, most vaccine trials fail, they don't succeed. Otherwise, there'd be no infectious disease. You would get one flu shot. You would never have uh, pseudomonas infections. You know, if we could just by will and strength alone, just generate a vaccine, you would have never gotten sick in your entire life. There'd be no common cold. So even if it looks promising in those early stages, sometimes it generates a good immune response that protect us and sometimes it doesn't and unfortunately that is just something we just have to do and hope for the best um, and see what happens and do you this, also have this... to give do you also have to give the vaccine and then uh, when you're t when you're doing like testing like human testing and then and then follow those people for like a, a period of time and and because mm. it, it's not a, i guess I mean, I'm, ass I'm assuming it's similar to to many um, like pharmaceutical drugs that get put into production. It's not it's not just the the good thing that it does. It's the bad thing that it does. And how long does it take for that thing to show up? And how what like what is the standard time to follow somebody to say, okay, this is something viable that we can now produce? Yeah, great question. So generally, what you do is you give the vaccine to someone and you look for proteins called antibodies in their blood. And antibodies mean you've generated immune response. And those antibodies can be protective. So that means that they can stop the virus getting in, or sometimes they can be kind of useless. So the first thing you do is you sort of measure those levels and hope that the vaccine is making your body produce antibodies. If it doesn't, it's, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, to actually see if it protects you from infection, you have to wait for people to get sick. And it's not like with a disease like this, we're going to be infecting people and seeing if they're protected or not. That wouldn't be ethical. In fact, that's why we use laboratory animals like mice to do all those kinds of studies, because, you know, it would not be ethical to infect somebody with a potentially life-threatening infection. So then you have to let all these people go out in the world. 
and see who gets sick and who doesn't get sick. And that takes a lot of people. And then mm-hmm. the third step is doing, like you said, follow-up studies and making sure that there's no consequences. Now, vaccines in general, with a couple uh, exceptions, have been very, very safe because they're sort of harnessing your body's uh, immune response to do what it would do anyhow. And there's not a lot of, um, they're not drugs in quite the same way as other drugs are. So right. they don't tend to interact with other like your other organs or other parts of your body. So they tend to be fairly safe in that regard. But nonetheless, there have been examples where the immune system actually did more harm than good in these sorts of studies. So we have to look for that very Mm. carefully too. Your specialty being, you know, revolving around the immune system, uh, this might be a very silly question, but um, is there something that we can do from our, you know, our own homes that can like, boost our immune systems that in in the case that we do contract covid it it kind of gives us a bit of an upper hand or is that just like no that like no matter how much elderberry you, you sniff at home like you're not gonna <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing that's gonna help so i'm sorry to say the answer is almost a hundred percent no with a couple little caveats so everyone <laughs> okay. always asks me about boosting the immune system and i say listen your average adult in canada gets two to three colds per year i am an immunologist and infectious disease specialist i get two colds per year so you know if, if anyone knows the secret it would be me and i can tell you there's no secret and in fact in some ways you don't want to kind of boost your immune system for this because people who are dying of this have a crazy strong immune response and that's actually leading to killing them so you wouldn't even want to sort of boost your immune Mm. response because that does seem to be part of death but there are a couple Mm. exceptions diabetics seem to be at high risk for this infection and in fact for most uh, pneumonia type infections and people who have really highs and lows in their blood glucose big spikes are always at more risk so if you're a diabetic you want to make sure you're controlling that as best you're able with either medications or diet or whatever it is you're using Um, And the other sort of kind of piece of advice I can give, we don't know if it protects against this infection, COVID specifically, but there is sufficient evidence to say that if you take vitamin D, you're protected from, to some degree, from acute respiratory infections. So it won't hurt. It probably won't help. But if it makes you feel better, you can take vitamin D. Well, um, I've been I've been taking vitamin D every day, baby. Well, What's right, up? Nice on you. Me Good too. You. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. I'd like to put a couple of uh, of like maybe, uh, and not necessarily quick fire, but a few uh, a few like myth busting kind of questions that maybe mm-hmm. I was listening to this thing the other day. So, um, in I won't go into the whole story, but I I just returned from Ecuador and we were on we were on lockdown with closed borders in Ecuador and there was, and it was very challenging to, to leave. And, um, and, and we were with a group of people and, and everyone's the situation, what was happening there is much different than what it was here. It was much more like apocalyptic in mm-hmm. Ecuador. And so, um, everyone was in a very, um, in a very sort of like frantic state of mind. And, um, and I heard this, I, I heard this recording of, of this woman, woman from Australia 
and she was talking about she was kind of giving like this summary of where the virus how the virus lives on certain surfaces the periods of time that it will that it will stay alive on certain surfaces um and then little things that you could do to try and um kill the virus when it lives on surfaces and things like that so she was talking about it can live on metallic surfaces for up to eight days it can get caught in your clothes and get caught in your hair um so to you know when you come in from outside to wash your clothes and then take a shower and and you know wipe your doorknobs and all the, and things like that um and one thing that she said was that it will come it will it will go into you know if it doesn't go in through your nose and it'll go in through your throat and it will eventually live in your throat for a period of time before it then makes its way down into the lungs she was saying that gargling salt like hot salt water um for uh could kill the virus in your throat before it makes it down into your lungs. And that one, I was very interested in. I was like, she sounded very convincing, but she said it, and I went, "Really? Did did she follow it? Up, did she follow it up with? You also have to uh, say this one incantation, and 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 to and to get and to get the incantation, you just send me one one uh, one lump sum of fifty nine ninety nine, and I will send that to your email. Well, Gerald, like well, in Gerald, the new Mark Maron special. Uh, and then in the new Mark Maron special, he's talking about um, like taking vitamins and like, you know, they don't work, but you believe in them yeah. anyway. Well, hold on, hold yeah. on. Taylor, yeah. Taylor was, hold Taylor on, was gargling on. water yesterday on the phone with me. I was, I was, hold on. And and now let me follow this up. Why, why this isn't, why this isn't the craziest thing in the world to, to maybe think this true. Jer, what do you do every single morning when you wake up? Uh, I, I, I thank I, I think about all the things I'm grateful for. No, you breathe in a saline solution. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, this is true. This is true. And, That's yeah. a different and, situation, though. Yeah, very but, different situation. But why I heard it and didn't didn't immediately write it off, because it sounded kind of crazy, but I was like, oh, okay. Well, like I know Jared takes takes his whatever it's called i can't remember what the what the solution's called but but for me but for me today the reason i do that isn't isn't to uh i'm asking because any bacteria or or viruses it's it's to to it's to literally just like yeah and i mean not even it's like it's it's that salt water is made to or that salt um uh nebulizer salt water nebulizer is meant to like chop up the mucus that's in my lungs to make it a little more uh, a little more liquidy so that I can, I can get that out of my lungs as opposed to just leaving it on the fucking, you know, the walls of my. Yeah. And I've used salt uh, water to clean my bongs in the past. It's very, it's a very, (laughs) very helpful solution. Um, I know it has done. What it's got got many uses. Salt is the best solution. (laughs) Tremendous. I see a funding opportunity for me to do salt water as a bong cleaning solution. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, until that grant comes through, I'll give you. So the answer is no, it's not going to help for COVID. It is going to help for Jeremy because, like you said, it loosens up the mucus. And there is actually a little bit of evidence for the bacteria that causes strep throat. They're really sensitive to salt. Antibiotics are way better. But for that particular bacteria, gargling with salt water does help a little bit because it actually lives in the deep tissues of your throat. This virus, mm-hmm. it's a different story and it's not going to help. And the reason for that is maybe if we had a, a vial of that virus and we added salt, it wouldn't do so hot. But 
every humans do this thing called micro aspiration where all the saliva in our mouth and in our throat and all that stuff we're actually constantly breathing some of that down into our lungs especially when we sleep because the way we sort of sleep on our back it sort of there's like a, a lot of fluid that gets down there so that is just happening all the time and the virus isn't something that's going to it's so tiny that it's easy to get washed down and all that fluid that's going up and down in our upper and respiratory tract. So unfortunately, gargling with salt water, it's not going to help with this virus. It does help a tiny little bit with strep throat, although I would still take antibiotics, but that's because those bacteria are really stuck to those tissues where the virus mm -hmm. are sort of going up and down all that liquid that's in our upper respiratory tract in our lungs. Cool. Mm -hmm. Myth busted. Um, the the, uh, um, uh, the last Brian, thing I, I wanted to- got one last question there before we wrap this up. Yeah. So, uh, Don, we've been, Taylor and Jeremy and I were talking yesterday about uh, this idea that the Dutch have been trying trying to implement. I'm not sure if you've heard about it, but it's been going around for like the last 10 days or so. Um, they're trying to actively um, allow their uh, um, the people there to catch or contract COVID-19 to develop herd immunity. So they're trying to do it in a, at a controlled pace. And uh, apparently not only is the Netherlands trying to do this, but uh, I guess it's an idea that the UK is starting to consider adopting now too. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Would something like that work? I think it's a tragic loss of life. And in fact, I'm the cynical part of me wonders if it's just politicians trying to cover up for the fact that they've missed the window of preventing the spread. So pretending this is an idea. Mm. Let me tell you why this is awful. <laughs> so for, there's a few reasons. One... The idea, like I said, is that people get sick, they have an immune response now, they can go back to work, they can live their life, and if enough of us get an immune response, the, the virus can't spread between people anymore. That's the idea behind herd immunity. And in fact, it does work for some things, but this is why it's a terrible idea here. First of all, the death rate for this virus, even in young people, like people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, is way higher than viruses we normally deal with. So if you're going to accept the herd immunity fact, you are accepting the fact that you're going to kill a lot of people and not just older people. I think mm -hmm. this is completely unethical. I think it's horrible. And I especially, I, the ageism behind thinking that it's old people are going to die bothers me to no end because it's not for us to say whose life is worth more than someone else's based on their age. Yeah. And, yeah, when, like when did this when did this dialogue start? Like when when was it ever okay to just go? Oh well, only grandmas and grandpas will die. That's okay. No one needs their grandpa. Like it's so bizarre to me that that's the that is the mindset that people have of going. Ah, oh, well, it's just the old people, you know, yeah. like. Fucking oh, old people awful. are people. Yeah, they are people, <laughs> as it turns out, and valuable to their families and communities. Older adults yes. do more caregiving than any other age group. They do more field uh. volunteering and they do more civic engagement. So even if it were just targeting old people, I would object to that. But in fact, it's not. Yeah. The second issue is there's this thing called all-cause mortality. So even in years when we have a really bad flu season, deaths from everything increase. And that's because our healthcare workers are busy dealing with, in other years, influenza and this year, COVID. Mm -hmm. And so they have to gear up. They have to wear all their protective equipment. You know, everything's a bit slower. People don't get treated as quickly. Surgeries that can be put off get put off. So actually, death rates from everything increase. And so when we look at the death rates to COVID, that's just directly to the infection. But in fact, in every country that's had a COVID outbreak, 
there are a lot of other deaths to the heart attacks and the car accidents and anything else mm. you might end up to the hospital for. So we have to count those deaths too, of all these sort of proximal deaths mm. that will happen because our healthcare systems overwhelmed. So there's that aspect, which is why herd immunity is bad because you're going to kill a lot of people you didn't intend to. Um, and, and then the other constant thing that's kind of a bad news situation is we know that when older adults have a pneumonia that's severe enough to get them hospitalized, and when I say older, I mean 50 plus, which, you know, as you get closer to that feels less old, they can have all sorts of health consequences from having that pneumonia that lasts for a long time. We don't know if this is the case with COVID, but based on how bad this infection is, there's no reason to assume it's going to be any different. Survivors may have health consequences of surviving. And this herd immunity plant, which is garbage, doesn't account for that either. So there, you heard it from me. It's garbage. Don't do it. Stay home. It sounded Social like garbage when I heard it. I read, I it, read yeah. it and I went... Uh, I thought it was an onion article, honestly. Yes. Yeah, it sounds like a joke. It does. Yeah. But then, and then, then uh, we then we had a debate if uh, if if they decided they were going to do it in Halifax, would we all go down to the city center and and sign up to to get the disease, yeah. get the virus? Yeah, I, I, I yeah mean, my husband uh, keeps but, saying go now. Well, the ventilators are still available, but that's probably not a yeah. good idea either. But the, the, I mean, and but one of the problems with something like like putting herd immunity in is i mean we are living in an in a in a a time right now where i mean how many how many times you open up instagram and you see somebody that's going listen to listen to the experts listen to the your health officials and everything like that and in our case we think that that's a really good idea because we're separating ourselves but in a country where they're doing where they might be trying to do herd immunity they're saying the same thing and what their health officials are saying is go out in public so then people are going Listen to your health officials. Like, go out and go out in public, and go into this. Go into a group of people that are infected, and and people will listen to that. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. Well, you know, and like, so let's use Italy as an example. Italy started with like a little bit of you know, hey guys, social distancing. Let's try that, and then went into full down lockdown. And one of the things that's happened over the course of their epidemic is the death rates are going up and up and up and up as more people get sick. And that's just like I talked about, the healthcare workers are all overextended, their hospitals can't take anymore. So more people are dying of COVID now than they were a few months ago. I have no idea how these people who think herd immunity is a good idea, when are you going to put the brakes on? When are you going to be able to slow it down? Because this disease, because it takes so long to incubate, even if every Canadian today stopped talking to every other person, even if we had perfect social distancing and the virus couldn't live on a surface, we would still see an increase in cases for the next two weeks as people mm. who are carrying it get sick. So government, you can't, you can't stop this infection once it starts. And those places that are proposing herd immunity have let it start and it's going to get a lot mm. worse before it gets better. And, you know, science will tell, we will have the numbers for you to show which approach was right, but I know where my money is. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Dr. Don Bowdish, uh, thank you so much for, for taking some time today to sit down with us and to, uh, to get really real and put out some like really legit, uh, important information. Um, the world is going to be a very different place for the next, uh, foreseeable future. And so, um, thank you for, for making a little bit of that future a little more clear for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and pleasure. please do not stop the work you're doing. You are, you are. Uh, we need a little. We need more of you in the world. So, so yeah. just keep doing what you're doing. And who knows? I well, mean, thank we've you had, so um, much. 
we've had uh you know, who knows where this is going maybe we'll ha- have another conversation in the in the i'd be delighted anytime send me yeah. your myths and i will bust them <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. thank you Okie dokie. Well, how about that? That was interesting. It was wild. <clears throat> I'm um, so I'm so glad that uh, <laughs> that we know people that know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, you gotta you gotta you gotta have at least one of those. Um, doesn't it every- kind of like? Doesn't it remind you guys of how little you actually know, dude? Yeah, oh, hor- shit. It, it reminds me horribly of of how little I know. But also, I mean, I think one of the it was that it was it was what I really enjoyed so much about listening to um, to the guy who was on Joe Rogan was like that. There's so much noise. There's so much noise. Like it's every news outlet on the planet is is producing. We're, we're being inundated on, with yeah, like yeah, several articles info. a day. Every and what's the craziest? thing about this whole thing is that like when you stop and think about <clears throat> I know we're going to talk about this we're going to talk about this more on um, on our Friday episode but like um, about the situation that I was going going through in Ecuador is that is that thinking that oh I'm sitting there this is happening in every planet on earth and in every planet on earth i totally sorry, agree sorry, like, sorry. Like, like, i mean and you look at you look at all those planets on earth and and to think that it's happening on every single one is just it really is staggering i agree with you taylor every in every in every country on earth in every country the thing is earth. considering how how flat the earth is and how quickly this spread across okay, the Jesus flat Christ. surface of the earth so so let's listen let's get into uh what what did what did you guys think about what Don, Doctor uh, Don Bowdish was throwing down there. I mean, like it, it, that was a bit sobering, for one sure. Things, one of the things that I thought was uh, really interesting was uh, was that, like, again, I go back to that conversation that we first recorded about coronavirus, like, which is now like a couple months ago. Um, yeah. We were talking a lot about like the fear mongering in the media, and I almost feel like now the reality is somewhat scarier than what the the media the idea that the media is trying to perpetuate it's almost like and like let's take uh donald trump's rhetoric for example like he's i almost feel like he's trying to like instill this like attitude of like hope in like all the wrong ways into the american people like this idea that he's just blatantly lying that you know the situation is going to be better in in a few weeks but like the reality and the things that I was hearing Don say is like, man, this is like, it's gonna be like this for a a, a long time. Buckle yeah. up, yeah. And I think that yeah, I think it's, that it's really it's. I obviously I can't speak for everybody, but I really appreciate I really appreciate just like straight up honesty, and mm-hmm. and I appreciate I appreciate being told, stay at home, do these things because we just really don't know. Like there, we don't have all the answers to this thing. And right now taking all these measures that we're taking, it's the best, it's the best way. It's the best way to pump the brakes on this thing before, um, you know, before, before it gets, before we end up like a, like we are in Italy or China or U S where they're heading. 
Well, I, yeah, I mean, the U.S. is on a fast track to uh, to just absolute pandemonium. So, um, well, I again, you know, I, I feel I feel grateful that we have the opportunity to to chat with people like Dr. Badish to get a, a bit more of a an understanding on on what it is we know so far and and what we potentially could be expecting. Um, we are we're going to try to do this as much as we possibly can folks um we're you know we're, we're going to keep coming at you with our regular monday episodes uh we're going to try to keep up with these uh these new friday good news stories episodes um and then and then in these conversations that we have um surrounding the current situation with covid uh we're just going to drop those willy-nilly as they come uh so uh, and let us know your thoughts, you know, like if you found this to be helpful, if you want more uh, content like this, please reach out. You can fire us an email, info at sickpoypodcast.com. Uh, you can hit us up on Instagram. You can hit us up on Twitter. Um, and let us, let know, us know. Let us know if you know anybody who would be great for us to speak to as well. Cool. Well, uh, love y'all. Thanks for tuning in today. And uh, we got we got a really sweet little conversation coming up on Friday uh, with our, our good friend, uh, Dr. Nahid Dasani. And uh, I guess, Tay, we'll also hear from you about your your shit trip that uh, that happened in, in uh, Ecuador. Buckle um, up. Uh, so tune in on Friday. Uh, stay safe, people. Don't touch your eyeballs. Um, uh, don't lick your fingers. Uh, unless you got Dorito dust on them and you just wash them. And uh, I've been hearing some stories coming out of, I believe it was Estonia, where we have a really great um, listenership about something to do with like, if you touch your butthole, that there could be some consequences there. Like there's something to do with how the, how the droplets of the virus are, are accumulating around the butthole. And if you touch your butthole and then touch your nose or your mouth, I mean, you, you don't want to do that anyway, but in these times, it's. I never heard that, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, like, but like for I sure, love... don't like for sure, just don't do that anyway. You didn't see that email from one of our listeners that Taylor no. was mentioning. In no, Australia. I didn't. No, I bet, but no. I mean, I've been seeing a lot of weird emails coming in, coming in for the for the, on like the herpes blog that we had that about some sort of like witch doctor treatment, but I I didn't see the. Estonia thing. Anyway, yeah. uh, folks, uh, we love you. Stay safe, and uh, and we'll see you. We'll see you on the other side. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.